Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. A huge part of what I do is help uplift wounded healers. I know there are so many of you, so I honour you for making some time for yourself right now. Before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as possible. Reviews help the algorithm and they show the podcast to more people. There's no money in it for me. This podcast is just my weekly gift to you and to myself to temporarily shift out of mum life and talk to other grown-ups. And I so, so, so value your support. It really keeps me going. Now, one of my new favourite things to do on this podcast is interview a birth worker and then interview their mentor. So a few episodes ago, I interviewed Doula Hannah Godding, and now I'm interviewing her mentor, Catherine Eden. And in a few weeks, I'll then interview Catherine's mentor, and so on and so forth. I love stories. This is why I do what I do, and it's why I do this podcast. I really think that sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support. We need a sounding board and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one, for storytelling. Catherine is a great storyteller and a space holder. Always interested in the mystery of women's bodies and pregnancy and babies, Catherine has dabbled in psychology and sociology, social work and midwifery and possibly a few other things. She's now a doula educator and she supports new doulas to thrive in every aspect of the sense. Catherine and I chat about how to help the helpers with trauma, with grief around the idea of what they thought birth was going to be like versus maybe how it actually is sometimes and the bullying. Oh, the bullying. We talk about sister wounds and the parallels of our work because we've both worked with adolescent girls in the past So bullying and the parallels with that and how we see this transpire with adult women in midwifery. If you resonate with fears about being told off, wanting to stay small so that you don't get attacked or don't get into trouble and maybe have a history of bullying, we're here for you. This is going to help. And Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty, pretty good, despite the cold yes. and the freezing, you know, Macedon Ranges. Chilly, and I'm chilly. losing my voice. But other than that, all good. Excellent. Yeah. So let's dive in. You've had some interesting roles, titles, degrees collected. <laughs> <laughs> I sure have. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to, like, put the alphabet soup? together for what your journey to do what you're doing thank you so much for having me um always fun to have a chat and um especially because we haven't chatted properly like in person we just got to know each other online um 
Oh, where where to begin? Uh, so I started out um, studying psychology, um, similarly to you, but I didn't um, I didn't get to the end of psychology. I finished my behavioral science degree um, with a major in psychology and sociology, and then. I went, oh, what can I do? I really enjoyed working with young people. Um, particularly, I had a passion for working with young girls and running um, sort of girls groups. Like for, for, I really enjoy high school girls. Um, yeah, so do I. It's a weird thing. Sometimes people have been like, you what now? I'm like, yeah. I know. That was, I love that was it. something I used to do. It's my favourite. They're my favourite. And I, I wonder how I'll go when I have my own teenagers. Um, and I would say they're the most, obviously, the most complex and there's lots of sort of brain development stuff and, you know, lots of stuff going on. But um, that 14, 15-year-olds, when um, they have the biggest sort of changes happening, yeah, they're my favourite. I love them. They teach me so much. So, um, yeah, so I got out of – I finished the uh, – the behavioral science and I was sort of like I want something else I want something more hands-on I don't sort of just want to be stuck in an office and I really was called to social work which is so um you know really sort of justice focused and I could work um on the ground and do like non-for-profit things and yeah so I did so I started that um and so I did my I started my master's in social work and I was specialising in school counselling because that's that was my dream. I wanted to be a school counsellor. Yeah. Um, and I started to remember stuff from when I was a kid. I've always been really, really obsessed with pregnancy and birth and babies, but mostly just the pregnancy and birth sort of stuff. It was always really fascinating. All of my dolls were always pregnant. And um, (laughs) I was chatting to someone recently and she was like, you were really called to this work. She's like, I never did that. None of my Barbies were ever pregnant. Or I was like, really? I thought everybody did that. She's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I think I was called to this work from really young. And um, so when I was working with young people, I was just noticing this real pattern around um, not having an understanding of their body and not having an understanding of, um, yeah, just how the body works and, you know, the taboos around menstruation and and talking about contraception and all being very hush-hush. And I started to sort of um, go back and, and be really interested in birthing stuff and what's available and I worked in a bookshop and so I was constantly sort of referring books and um it was just sort of that secret passion I was like oh I don't know if this is sort of weird if I just want to have babies or what this is about um but I actually saw a program one night and it had it was uh around the time when they were introducing the mandatory insurance for uh, midwives to attend home birth so this was about 2009 I think they had this big mother of a protest um, in Canberra and a whole bunch of people protesting everywhere because they sort of were feeling that it would be the end of home birth because if midwives couldn't access the insurance then it then they wouldn't be able to be registered and then they wouldn't be able to attend births Um, and so I watched this insight program and um, there was like Claire Bowditch and Jenny Gamble and a whole bunch of other people, I think maybe Hannah Darlin. 
And I was like, this is fascinating. I was like, this is amazing. This is like feminists talking about women's issues. It's really important. And um, I, it's, it just called me. I was just so fascinated. And straight away I was on Google, like, how can I? I want in on this. <laughs> <laughs> I want in wow. on this, like, incredible life-changing stuff. And I felt like it went so well with my social work. So I actually came across doulas at that time um and so it was sort of this toss I was doing my social work um I only had maybe one subject to go maybe one placement and a subject but I was like I need I need to get in on this stuff um the politics was just it was really interesting and yeah so I went to a couple of doula meets actually because we had some local doulas and I was Googling sort of midwifery and I'd always thought midwifery wouldn't be for me because I was never that great at science and I just thought it would be too sciencey and medicalized. But I started to check out all of the birth scene in my local area in Adelaide and there were heaps of meetups. There were coffee mornings like every week with independent midwives and um, there was a um, CARES, I think it was, it's like cesarean education and support group um there was a home birth network meeting and then there was a doula meetup so I was like this doula thing sounds interesting because then I don't have to go back and do another degree <laughs> which um, you love doing yeah which I do I do I really <laughs> do love studying but I I really have had enough enough <laughs> yeah I've had enough but um I thought that would be interesting so I went along and they were so lovely and it was really interesting and there was there there were a couple of doulas that had quite good um decent sort of caseloads but back then I mean we're talking 10 years doulas were pretty unheard of Mm. they didn't have a lot of traction I mean this was sort of before Facebook or social media was a thing so they did rely very much on on um face-to-face sort of catch-ups which was a big thing then um but they just they most of them were mums and I wouldn't say was sort of earning regular income it wasn't really um a sustainable sort of business in any sort of way and I was like oh I don't know how I can make this work but I stayed in contact with them and I actually still know quite a few of them and and then I just hung out with the midwives and the midwives groups and oh my goodness like they taught me everything about just women's business it was just incredible I was like welcomed into this whole new space of learning about baby wearing and um just physiological birth and not being afraid of birth because for me really young um I was never afraid of birth like I remember having a conversation with kids at school I was like I don't understand why women have drugs like on purpose you know why they choose that don't you want to feel it surely there's some special thing you know that about this birth thing that we should really feel we only get to experience it a couple of times so it was always quite an innate thing to be very connected with physiological birth um yeah so these midwives they'd sit around and and knit they're all knitting and crocheting and doing these active birth workshops where they talked about you know different optimal positioning and being off the bed and being at home and birthing in water and I was like wow this is this Mm. is amazing um and and then I sort of started talking to them and interviewing them and I sort of thought well maybe I can go on and do that I can be an independent midwife 
So I enrolled in uni <laughs> again, <laughs> as you do. Again. Again. And I left my last few subjects of social work and I enrolled into um, direct entry and midwifery. And, um, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a shock to the system, let me tell you. That was a really big shock to the system. N- not so much knitting and... Um... Optimal no, birth stuff. No yeah. knitting. I was. Do you know what? That's a really big part. I was really, really sad that there was no knitting. Oh. I was like, why isn't anyone knitting? Like, where is all of the sitting in a circle? And and I mean, they were. I wouldn't call them sort of all um, complete woo woo hippies. I mean, they were talking research and stats and you know current evidence. And you know, they were very intelligent, incredible women. They had to be because. They were so autonomous and I just sort of expected that midwifery would still be a little bit different and it would still encompass, you know, it was still sacred women's business. So I thought that it would merge the two. Mm. Um, It did not. (laughs) It Mm. did did not. Um, And it really was a, it was a very difficult year. So I, I finished the first year of midwifery. Um, and I did get credit for second year, so I only would have had to do about a year and a, and a little bit more plus all of my births. But I didn't get to see a vaginal birth, let alone sort of uh, an interventionless physiological birth until I actually attended the birth of a friend who happened to have a home birth. Mm. Um, and I was really thrust into just so much trauma around me. I mean, I wasn't necessarily suffering trauma, but I had so many colleagues who were students as well, who were witnessing things, stillbirths, um, traumatic births, things that they didn't know how to process. And coming from sort of the more mental health background uh, and being quite vocal, I was really trying to advocate for them. I was saying, this is not okay. This is not how it should be. Where's, where are the counsellors? Where's the ethics committee? Where I would, I would go to the, to the supervisor, like the head of the department. I was saying like, where's the support? I don't understand how you can have a degree with no support. And she would, she just brushed me off. We did not have a very good relationship. (laughs) Um, She would say to students, they just have to get over it. They just have to, I had a friend who's we had a whole bunch of stuff happen in her personal life and then um, on her student births and she went to the head of the department was not supportive at all and she sent her off to the council, the university council, and the council said, yeah, midwifery has the highest dropout rate, mm. has the highest um, sort of trauma rate. We had, you know, um, 17, 18-year-olds coming straight from school who were sort of thrust into needing to, you know, who hadn't attended a birth, who didn't know a lot about birth. Mm. Um, And the focus was so much on the science and just passing, you know, really it was just about passing your biology and physiology, um, not at all about sort of the sacredness. And there was this sort of facade that they they would throw in the sacredness of birth but didn't ever really promote it or talk about how to, support yourself that was the biggest thing for me um 
and I felt that sociology of, of midwifery was a really important subject and I didn't have to do it because I'd done sociology before but and I was like sociology is my favorite it's so great and then my my um friends were telling me what they were learning and I'm going this this doesn't sound right I don't understand what's happening and the other biggest shock for me as well was and you would know this too coming from psychology like you have to, it's a prerequisite to have supervision, you know. So mm. 500 hours of placement um, when I was doing my social work placement, I had to do a minimum of two hours a fortnight of supervision. Mm. And that covers everything from, you know, debriefing to um, learning, you know, asking questions, whatever comes up. And in midwifery, these women are thrust into almost a war zone sometimes and with no compulsory support whatsoever. Mm. And they were leaning on each other, but that was just sort of reinforcing the trauma that they were experiencing and it wasn't able to process or go anywhere. Um, so there would, and then it just didn't feel right. It just really didn't feel right for me. It went against everything that I felt innately and also everything I'd been taught in terms of mental health and you know professional standards professional practice um yeah you you can't hold space unless somebody holds space for you you need to have that debriefing and so the the crux really came for me when I was put so we didn't have midwifery placements to begin with you have nursing placements even though it's a direct entry midwifery so changing bedpans in a dementia ward and having to sort of look at feces and decide you know the difference between them and what's normal and what's not and I was like why am I here (laughs) why am I here why am I here and I just remember really vividly going this this is not what I signed up for at all and am I really gonna get the end result of being able to be the independent midwives, you know, at the end of this, like, is this going to get me where I want to be? And as the year sort of progressed, um, I started to think that maybe it's not as easy and as possible as I had thought because times have changed. Those midwives generally did apprenticeships and things like that to get to where they are. Um, and things started to fall apart and crack a little bit, I suppose. So by the end of that year, because of my background, myself and another mid-student were, I don't want to say allowed, but we were offered the position to um, have a placement in a termination clinic. Um, mm. And there was a lot of, con- yeah, there was a lot of controversy around it. Um, midwife, mid students had been banned from there previously um, and there were some issues higher up around placing mid-students there and um, my colleague and I kind of fought to be placed there because we felt like we could really um, learn a lot and given sort of our skills and everything that we had it would be really beneficial. It was the most incredible women-centered experience that I've ever had. Oh, that's not what I thought you were going to say. So that's really good. Yeah. And it shocked me. It really shocked me because that's what I, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, The midwives there and the team there were incredible. Um, And I actually had a supervisor, like a nurse. So the midwives and the nursing students are sort of 
lumped together. And the mid students actually had nursing supervisors while they're on placement. So you don't get to sort of actually debrief with them or anything, but they're just sort of supposedly there to support you if you need them. And I had this particular nurse student who I found out later was actually having a lot of trouble conceiving and she was really angry about us being there and sort of having to go there like her own personal stuff was coming up and she gave me a really hard time um I had to miss I missed a day of placement which I was making up because of uh some study for an exam or something and she I've never really experienced bullying but that was the it was really intense she was really horrible (laughs) and Mm. the the midwives at the clinic they were like they were so supportive they said we won't let you be alone with her we'll sit with you we'll support you and the kind of care that they displayed to the women that came to the clinic without judgment without any shame without any nothing like just care just holding space like the epitome of what it means to hold space Mm. reminded me of why I got into the work in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I realised <laughs> that I couldn't do what I wanted to do as a midwife, no matter how hard I sort of tried to trick myself into thinking that I could. The experiences that my friends were having on their placements, on labour wards and, you know, in various other places were not examples of what it was I wanted to do. And I realised that maybe I could do more going back to social work and then figuring out how I could sort of, you know, come back to birth work if I needed. But I just realised that there's not one way. Like I didn't have to be a midwife and and work in a birth centre to be able to support women and birthing people and and pregnancy and, and that whole spectrum. So that was the bit, yeah, that was sort of the biggest turning point, I suppose. Mm. And so you've channeled that now into, I suppose, like supporting and nurturing and mentoring people who are either going through or are kind of, you know, coming up against a lot of the stuff that you've been through, which is, I think, a lovely, lovely way to translate your skills, really. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, I think so it's been quite like still quite a journey I suppose to get to this point of trying to work out exactly and I think it always is isn't it trying to work out how we can actually make the change or Mm. or actually make the change that we're being called to make because we can all only do our own part Um, and I remember listening to Hannah's podcast as well and she talked about the grieving I I went off birth for a while because I had to massively grieve what I thought it would be um, and then what it was and what I thought I was going to do and then I couldn't do that. And there's sort of this attachment, I suppose, to, yeah, who you think you're going to be or, you know, there's just, yeah, just an attachment. And so I had to grieve that massively. And I also went travelling. I picked up and we went to... We went to India, we did some Indonesia and we did um, some Thailand. We went travelling and I needed to sort of get away from birth and I went back to social work and I decided that perhaps I could do more 
I noticed how many women were frightened, like so frightened of childbirth. And so many of them would talk about their only experiences before they got pregnant were at school with that that birthing video, you know, that birthing <laughs> video that we all watch and get traumatized by and contraception. I thought, you know, I really need to see if maybe we can get to these girls before they become pregnant, you know, don't or sort of reduce the fear before they get to be adults. Mm. Um, so I did end up becoming a school counsellor um, and I did that for a few years before I had my own kids. Loved that and I loved the ability to be able to um, sort of undo some of the taboos and shame around menstruation and cycles and sexual health and all of that. So that's really a big passion and I feel like if we can start there, that's a that's a good place to start (laughs) but I definitely was called back to birth work especially after I had my own kids and with my started with placentas actually because I really am passionate about mental health and I read about placentas being um, possibly able to sort of help or support um, the postnatal period and then so I started um, studying placenta encapsulation and doing that but I needed to I wanted to do more, so I did my doula training. Um, and then after doing my doula training, I sort of realised, so everything had fallen apart in terms of the culture here. At that point, um, there were really not many more independent midwives and home birth was a lot less. And um, and I just sort of realised after doing doula training, you know, then what? How do these doulas get supported? You know, how mm. same with midwifery. How do they get supported? But I really noticed that the difference between midwifery and doula work is with doulas, you're so much more autonomous. So you have more of a choice to sort of seek something out or um, find what you need. Whereas with midwifery, there's such a way of doing things and a, a protocol around things and you need to get permission for things. And there isn't this sort of maybe more so now around, you know, self-care movement and self-preservation and um, that sort of thing. But I was like, if we can create community and we can connect together, maybe we can support each other. And so Mm. that's when I started creating community here. So we've got like a doula group and we've got a birth network group where people can connect because all the coffee mornings sort of stopped. Um, And then, yeah, so then it sort of evolved to me really wanting to support birth workers um, to be sustainable in both business and in nurturing themselves in order for them to be able to keep giving back and doing this amazing work that we need them to do. Oh, and I'm so, so glad that you're doing it because I think there's something... I don't know. There's just something in the way that you're able to connect people. I think that just flows really easily, and I think you have a really strong ability to be quite um, diplomatic and warm. And I think you create a real sense of safety, even though I know you're a firecracker. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. And you do need to create warmth, and you do need to create safety in order for people to open up. And it's interesting the perceptions um, that there are around doulas and what doulas do particularly in 
in the system um, and how, yeah, offering that warmth and that safety actually allows them to uh, remove their walls and kind of be more honest. You go, I know, I know it's so hard. You don't have to keep it in, you know. They just need to talk about it a little bit more. And I think this is, we've talked about this a few times just in this, Midwives rising series about why people are so shit scared. Like, I get it. I absolutely yeah. get it. But how do we get to that next level of <sighs> people feeling like actually it's okay? I, I can actually speak up. I can actually speak my mind. I can actually make change. How do we get there? Do we just need more people to sort of like jump in first and then they go okay well they didn't get burned and they didn't you know drown so yeah I think think that I think there's so many levels to it but I think you're right I think we all carry that witch wound like I really um am big on that in terms of you know that innate fear that we have from our ancestral lines around speaking up and um Mm. feeling afraid that we will get burned um I think um, I think there is just that expectation of being a certain way, you know, especially as women, we need to play small and be quiet. And um, when we, I think for midwives as well, there's a, an expectation of sort of being that good girl. And then they, by being that good girl, they then expect that of the women and birthing people who come in. You know, and it sort of relays that from my own like perspective and experience, I've actually been so shocked at birth workers from my experience has been midwives actually burning other midwives. Um, oh, yeah. As opposed oh, to, yeah. yeah, as opposed to, you know, we talk a lot about sort of obstetricians and, and other sort of medical professionals but I actually think it's much more sinister and I think um that the fear is much more rooted on sort of the same level like between midwives and that's where that's where it comes from it's this fear of being told off fear of not being the good girl and and doing what's expected of us and then and the fear is is real because the number of midwives that have been reported by other midwives on transfer Mm. is quite scary and just so sad you know really really sad and and it has come out in some of the most recent sort of court documents and things it's been midwives reporting other midwives and I had another midwife friend say to me recently there was actually a a photo posted on Facebook um, of a couple of midwives on um, International Midwives Day and they happen to be with a midwife who's been on trial. Two of them work in the hospital. Someone reported that photo to their superiors and they were reprimanded and um, met with some warnings purely from a photo that was posted on social media for um, International Midwives Day. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Like, you just say it. Yeah, and, and you just... You don't know what goes on underground until it suddenly in court documents sort of comes out that it was midwives reporting other midwives. And um, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't sort of be um, speaking up for things when, when they don't believe that it's right or, you know, if someone's not 
practicing professionally, but it does go to show that the wounded sisterhood is bleeding out basically. And I believe that that's where we need to start. And I think the wounded sisterhood that is sort of fledged in fear from not just our ancestors, but from, you know, modern day Mm. where we're so hell bent on blame, you know, such a blame system and obstetricians, they don't want to be liable either. That's why they have so much insurance. That's why we're so frightened and so sort of bound by these insurance policies. But yeah. So one of those midwives that, that did get a warning, she said to me that, um, when she came out of being warned for whatever, you know, told off, um, one of the obstetricians sort of joked with her and said, oh, you midwives, you're worse, you're way worse than we are, you know. And so that was coming from an obstetrician <clears throat> sort of joking that even they can see that it's, yeah, it is the wounded sisterhood and it, it ripples out and it affects the community and it affects everyone under that you know and I think that that's well that's from me where I feel that I need to put my energy is sort of creating the connection and the connection only comes from feeling safe because Mm. they hold so much fear around being shamed or called out or bullied or excluded you know there's lots of being excluded um just really that old mean girl sort of thing um that's yeah that that's sort of Mm. where I'm at at the moment in terms of my um I'm trying to come up with ways that we can heal and and move forward these parallels about the high school girls Mm. that you're talking about is so interesting because having worked with high school girls as well in my (laughs) previous life I'm just thinking is this where we need to go back to we need to go back to the basics of like assertiveness skills and communication and all that kind of stuff that I guess, yeah, with the bullying that people carry with them, that they then, you know, there's that phrase of how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And if you, you know, haven't resolved your own being bullied or bullying or being a bystander, you will carry that into I suppose situations later on where you don't explicitly say to your brain, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm responding, but your implicit brain is going, oh, I've been here before, same shit, different smell, without cognitively going, I actually am a grown-up woman now. I don't need to operate in that fear, scarcity, defensiveness mindset anymore. Definitely. interesting. Interesting. Definitely. And I think... um maybe subconsciously even some people choose that model because they feel like they need to be that good girl and follow the processes and protocols and that's where they feel safe because that's Mm. what they've known Um, and they don't feel safe about speaking up and they do feel safe by, you know, a sort of male-dominated industry, you know, men telling them what to do. I mean, who knows? There There could be lots of things but... I definitely think similar approaches in terms of how to support teenagers around knowing themselves and um, feeling safe enough to speak up and feeling uh, just really understanding their own bodies and knowing that they have a voice and, you know, doing the deep inner work for themselves 
is similar mm. to what needs to happen for so many midwives and birth workers and just women in general, just people in general, you know, people avoid doing that in a work, but you can't give what you don't have, you know? And so there's this, we can't support new mothers and new families to dive deep and, you know, care for themselves if they're not doing it and they're not being an example of that either, and we can't support trauma if they're not supporting their own trauma and they can't, you know, it's just I think that there's this massive big wall and block around midwives and birth workers not giving themselves enough to be able to continue the work with the passion and the love that they want to put into the work um, because they're not giving it to themselves. And I was saying to you before about this whole idea of holding space and embodying the art of holding space because I really do believe that it is it is an art and I don't think that many people value it as an art, don't really understand what it means or what it looks like because they're so obsessed with sort of doing all the time that being is sort of this scary, weird thing that you have to be because then you might mm-hmm. have to confront things that make you uncomfortable Mm-hmm. Um, but we need to confront the things that make us uncomfortable and that's that's a whole nother sort of discussion but that's sort of a big part of the problem and so there's just sort of putting band-aids on it but you can't hold space for someone else unless someone is holding space for you mm. and this is my biggest drive is that when I was doing social work I couldn't be the support that my clients and and the students I was working with needed if someone wasn't holding space for me. And I just could not get into my brain how these midwives were experiencing the things that they were being expected to hold space, but weren't. They were always doing because they couldn't hold space because, you know, too many things to do and too many, you know, boxes to tick, um, but had no one to hold space for them to be able to debrief. And then they're carrying that trauma. And I read some stats the other day about one in three midwives are frightened of childbirth. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, one in three midwives are frightened of childbirth and they're going into these birth rooms with this fear. You know, what is that doing? What is it? We, we can, we can just only imagine. I mean, we mm-hmm. can see it. We can see what it's doing, but it's terrifying. Mm. And so long as you're not, I think this is the thing that people catch themselves on. It's like, oh, so long as I don't say anything, nobody knows. But you're not yeah. fooling anybody. No. You're not fooling anybody no. with the fact that, you know, you look at, we'd well, look at something like bullying. So I suppose it needs to be said because sometimes the things that are common sense that we think people know, they don't know. So let's just say it. Bullying doesn't come from a place of happiness. No. Bullyingness doesn't come from a place of being in that moment satisfied with your life bullying comes from a place of deep deep pain and trying to ignore your own pain by projecting it onto someone else absolutely exactly whether you are five or whether you are 55 so exactly we know that for the because bullying is really bad in midwifery absolutely and And it's a hierarchy so there's an expectation that as that you start at the bottom that's what one of the things I absolutely hated was you know as a student you were nothing you were nothing and you were just expected to be quiet close your mouth um 
and do whatever you're told basically and you were seen as nothing and you were, you were needed to take whatever you were given and if someone told you to go into some someone's birthing room that you didn't know that didn't ask for you to be there that asked for no student you still needed to go in there you still needed to catch their baby before they did so you could tick it off none of that sat with me and then because you were bullied and you were so ground down when you move up the ranks there's sort of that expectation well I had it done to me so I need to do Mm -hmm. it to the next and it just it's that vicious cycle and I just said I am not having one single part of this this is bullshit no way and that was sort of my own way of of getting out and we were having a discussion myself and two other sort of midwives discussion today about um can you change it from the inside and for us it's really been about no we we just didn't feel that we could we could only really change it from in any capacity even small from the outside because you remove any fear of being fired or you know being reported or whatever um you just have the ability to sort of have a bigger voice and reach a bigger audience from the outside Mm. it's very difficult on the inside to get out of that cycle and when you're in it it's so hard to see out of that yeah Mm. yeah it is I think that's true not just of of midwifery but I mean I've seen it in uh, it's really bad in health in particular which is the thing that like throws me so much that People go into this profession, whatever it might be, like presumably because they care about people and compassion and all those things they value and then they just end up behaving in ways that are like not in alignment with who they think they know themselves to be, which Mm. for me is just, well, that's trauma all over again. It's you in some capacity reenacting, deflecting, avoiding your own pain. Exactly. You know, when you're at your happiest, most joyful, most purest, you don't give a shit what someone else is doing. That's right. That's you're right. But you have to, them. you have to give a shit what someone, you know, what someone's thinking, you know, in midwifery because mm. there's always this sort of looming, like you'll get sued or you'll get your registration removed or, you know, and, and hats off to midwives who like so many amazing midwives, but I just feel so sad that you, you know, you don't have to be carrying this, this fear and this trauma alone and the subconscious effects that that fear that they carry would have just blows my mind. Um, I had a, once working as a doula in the hospital, I had a, a mid student. She was a student actually. Oh my goodness. She gave me the cold shoulder. I tell you to begin with. And I just, I sort of make it my, um, my mission to kind of warm them up and kind of win them over a little bit. And um, <laughs> I just feel like, you know, you don't get to see a lot of doors very often. Like there's no, I just don't believe that it's an us and them. Like sometimes there's no. this real sort of us and them mentality. I just don't see it that way. And um, there was a study done actually about midwives and their, their views on doulas and they really did think you know doulas are taking out our work and they're doing our things but I just from a doula perspective I just don't see it as an us and them I see it as all of us together we're all in it together um and that if we have supports you know maybe you can see that you can have some too but she at, at one point we just started chatting and um 
I said to her, oh, you know, it must be really hard or something. something. And I said, yeah, I studied mid for a little while and her ears sort of perked up. She's like, oh, did you? And um, sorry, I think something just turned on <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> and um, she said, sorry, hopefully you can just cut this. I just need to close it. Um, oh, we might keep it in. Have a little bit of party. That's okay. <laughs> something, something on my computer just like started started playing um and yeah she said oh did you study mid and I said yeah I did for a little bit and then I just said you know I really admire all of you that you know can sort of get through that degree it was really tough and really hard um and I just didn't feel like it was for me dual work really called me and that was more for me and um, we got talking and I and I said to her you know do you have anyone to sort of talk to about the births that you attend and she said oh no I, I have some student friends and, and I said, you know, have you witnessed anything that's, that sort of scared you or frightened you? She said, yeah. And she got really quiet and she sort of came over and she's like, yeah, there was this birth and the woman had a really massive bleed, like a really, there was just blood everywhere and you could see in her face, like she was still carrying mm. it and she was just saying, I just, um, it was so scary. I didn't know what was going to happen and I had to like call the emergency buttons and People, had, you know, no one else was in the room and I had to get people in. She was just telling me this story. And I said, so how, how do you feel now like when um, women are sort of birthing the placenta around the third stage, how do you feel? And she goes, oh, you know, I, I do feel really extra wary and I have to catch myself to not jump on it before it's necessary. Mm. And I said, and what happens if have you witnessed another bleed? And she said, yeah, it take, it does take me right back. And she's like, and then she sort of, sort of shakes and kind of goes, oh, I haven't really told anyone that before. <laughs> Don't need that. And I said, and then that's right. And I've carried that with me because I just thought, you know, if she's carrying that and she's, a, she's a student and she was amazing. She was so amazing. She went home and then came back the next day. And of course, like she was so different with me after that because there was that safety and that feeling yeah. of, trust and that feeling of oh you know I she gets it and I can tell her this and there's no fear of getting in trouble there's no fear of um being weak or being you know whatever story it is that they're telling themselves that they can't talk about what it is that they're feeling and um yeah and we had a really amazing relationship and we worked so well together and it really it changed the dynamic and I just Ever since then, I've just gone, oh, this is real. Like, this is really real. They need stories are our medicine. That's something I really believe. We need to be telling stories. I think you said something before about how do we sort of change it. Yeah, we need to tell the stories. We need to um, help others use these stories as their medicine to sort of use their voice and then we can rise up together. Mm, That's what I would love to see happening because I always ask the similar questions and I think, People think like I'm searching for some like really masculine like five-point plan. Like, yes. right, we'll execute this and then we'll do this and then we'll get on the chariot and then we'll go. I'm like, it's just like, it's just like a what do you need? What do you need? Yeah. And I think a lot of this is just, it's airtime. People need airtime. People need to know, you know, it's Birth Trauma Awareness Week as we're recording this. It, your story matters. So does the story of the birth worker. Everybody's story matters. And I, I always exactly. am flabbergasted when people are oh, you know, I don't really have much to say, but everyone's got a story. Everybody's got a story. Exactly. Everyone's got a story. And our stories, um, 
hold the the medicine and the key to our own journey as well. So um, Jane Hardwick Collins is m- like my teacher and I learn a lot from her work um, and she sort of talks about the, you know, what happens at our rite of passage is becomes our rite of passage and then the messages that come out of that time are what we need for the next rite of passage. And so, you know, we used to learn from our ancestors and from those who came before us about their rites of passage and the messages that they had. And, and we passed our lessons down via stories, you know, and we yeah. stopped doing that. And it's so important that we acknowledge that these rites of passage are massive and that we actually talk about them and we talk about not just the happy stuff, but we really need to talk about the uncomfortable stuff. We need to talk about our shadows and let them come to the surface because it's the only way that healing is going to happen. Um, and mostly unexpectedly, you know, because it was like that situation with that mid-student. She wasn't expecting to, to sit down and tell me about her most frightening moment. She just felt safe enough to do that. And then when she did, you know, hopefully there was some sort of even tiny little particle of maybe some healing being able to sort of come in. Mm. So, yeah, stories are so powerful and I think that that's where the key to change is. It's it's not a five-point plan like you talk about. And when I work with with birth workers to build their business, you know, they always think it's, um, you know, tell me what to do with my business so that I can succeed. And it's like, well it actually starts with you and your story and what you're carrying and the things you're not talking about and the things that make you uncomfortable and the blocks and the resistance and the shame and all of that stuff that you don't want to talk about. That's where you're going to find um, the most potency to actually build a successful business. And they always sort of go, oh, do we really have to talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) Oh, being the model for the change you want to see, what's some of the uncomfortable That's, stuff you do to yes. look after yourself, my love? What do I do? That, what what mm. do I do that's uncomfortable? I don't want bubble baths. I no, don't want walks no. on the beach. I actually, give, me, give me something. I actually make a point of um, doing uncomfortable things. My husband's actually really into Wim Hof and he's all about um, freezing cold showers and ice baths. And, um, like, what a delightful hobby. Yeah, it's so, and it's really good for your health. Like his health has been transformed. I'm not quite at that point. I don't feel like ice baths and cold showers are a form of sort of self-care for me. Um, I, I do really practice what I preach and I do talk to a professional um, and I do get sort of supervision and I do um, – yeah, I talk mostly. I talk, and I'm and I'm pretty open about talking about the uncomfortable things. Um, that's my biggest, I suppose. Hmm. Put me on the spot. I'm pretty willing yeah, to do to do the uncomfortable <laughs> thing. No, I'm sure there's lots of things. This is but, why know, I do it. It becomes. It becomes. You know. Yeah, it becomes sort of second nature once you've started doing it. Um, do you know what I really hate doing is like accounting and tax. Oh, and God. yeah, me too. And I really feel like when I when I do that, when I fa- uh, when I face the things that I'm really avoiding, things feel better. So like I'm facing that, and I'm um, making a point to sort of make the phone calls and do the things that I have to do. Um, 
But for me, really, I mean, that's my personality partly as well. So I really um, value connection and sacred space. So I have friends that I can talk to and professionals I can talk to. And um, I went on a retreat recently with, with Jane, actually. She came to Adelaide for, fi- for a five-day retreat. And leaving my family for five days was really that was pretty uncomfortable to try and sort of plan and the guilt around leaving my family. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But it was definitely the best thing, hands down the best thing I've ever done. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. They're they're the main things. Get enough sleep Mm. and eat the food and move the body and talk it out. Talk about the things that you don't want to talk about. Mm. That's, you know, Again, it's not it's not rocket science. It's just no. I, I like putting people on the spot because I yeah. think we you we were alluding to this before about the intellectualizing kind of stuff. Yes. And it's very easy to like, yep, search for the hashtags and sort of do the thing but not actually like embody it. So I always like to ask people because I like us exactly. all to be on our toes and like, well, if you're gonna bang on about other people looking after us themselves it's a reminder for us all to be like yep I need to be able to say this and say it with like this is how I take care of myself this is what a woman who takes care of herself looks like or sounds like because yeah and And so we come you know less like oh I shouldn't really do this because you know like only we've all got a martyr story well some of us have a martyr story I have a martyr story definitely oh my mum didn't spend time doing that oh her grandmother had to walk 50 miles in the snow just like all that shit Definitely. Mm, And it takes some time to sort of reprogram that as well. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. Sort of, you know, so I can sort of say, oh, you know, I just talk about it and I really talk about the deep stuff and all of my fears and blocks and things. But, you know, that comes easily for me, whereas for some people that's completely terrifying. Oh, totally. um, Yeah, so it's just sort of slow steps and sometimes, so I'm all about the cycles and the seasons and embracing the dark and the light because we need the two to make a whole and um so I've always found winter really really difficult but I'm actually the more I embrace and like you say embody um everything that sort of comes up and what we need to do the easier it becomes and mm. um yeah just having a an ability to sort of ask what do I need today what is it that my body needs what is it that my mind needs I'm not really a meditation person for some people, um, like Erin, my my colleague, she um, and she's my work wife. Um, she, <laughs> we do everything together. She um, she's really into meditation, but I just, for me, meditation comes from like walking or swimming or sort of more movement based things. And so, just sort of honoring whatever is coming up, and if there's big, deep inner feelings, being able to rest, you know, being at some big stuff that came up for me on the retreat was um, sleep more, you know, dream more. And I was like, no, I've got so much to do. <laughs> but just embracing and honouring one's need to rest and embracing one's cyclic nature. So, you know, where am I in my cycle? What do I need today? And I think um, my self-care definitely changes depending on where I'm at and, yeah, what the energy's like. Cool. Mm. That's all sounding, you know, like good stuff. Yes, thank you. Any resources you want to flag that people might be interested in, things they haven't heard of before? 
Hmm, resources. Well, I have launched. Mm, very, very loosely. That can be whatever you want. Yeah, well, I've launched a um, birth work business blueprint, which is oh, a free. Oh, that sounds very five-point plan. <laughs> it is. Well, well, you think it is because that's what people think they want, right? And then, mm, then you download yes. it and you'll Zach see. Zach in the I love it. I love it. Zach in the Come and download it for your, <laughs> for your five-point plan and then you'll see. Give them what, what really... they need. Yes. Yes, but it's it's very much um well I guess it is the embodiment of everything that I've learned over these past sort of 10 plus years um and where I think we need to go in terms of um healing but also in in birth workers being able to actually build a thriving successful business okay. because yep. often one of the biggest um, turn away points around, you know, I can't be a doula or I can't be a birth photographer or I can't um, do postnatal work or whatever it is because I won't make enough money or, you know, I don't, um, business makes me feel icky. I'm not a business person. I can't charge for my services because it's such sacred work, you know, and I get it. I get all of those things and I've been there. I've been that person. I've not made any money for a really long time and I've made it a hobby and I've done all these things, but you can't keep doing this work that we need you to do if it's a hobby and you're not taking it seriously and you, you know, money is a tool and we need you to have that so you can give back to the places where you want to give it. Um, Mm. So that's really what I'm passionate about. So that's a free resource. Um, I also have planners and cycle charts because that's what I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, making there's no one right, right way to run a business and so you have to make it work for you. And one of, you know, that sort of I've created resources for, for those reasons. That's just like my own resources. But in terms of, um, oh, so I have, um, I love Audible. I'm like completely obsessed with Audible um, and I listen to audiobooks because I don't get a chance to read a whole lot. Um, I'm just trying to think of my favourite. I mean, Jane Hardwick-Collins, she's not on Audible, but definitely look up her work if you haven't heard of her before. I think um, what she talks about, um, it is life-changing, but it's also a deep remembering. She has mm. her story, which is sort of the feminine version of history um that's a really good place to start in terms of remembering and waking up you know she talks about her and Lisa Lister talk about waking the witches um which is essentially just waking up your ancestral wisdom around your own that you have everything in your body already, you have everything in in you already that you need and it's just about rewilding yourself um, to remember that stuff so they're very in line with the work that I do and I love yeah I love Lisa Lister and Jane Lisa is on Audible um, I think Peter Kelly's book is so great um, and Peter Kelly is actually a really amazing advocate for birth and home birth um, yeah so she's a really cool person to read and I think um the book Pussy a Reclamation is such a great amazing book that everyone should read okay Uh, I'm writing (laughs) yes lots of reading lots of reading things I'm just trying to think of other I'm sure there's a million other resources depending on what people need but you know people can can send me an email send me a message I'm on Instagram um for specific stuff so many things so many resources 
that I have and in you're, my mind. You're so approachable, which is why, like, I think this is so good that we're chatting because I think, like, let's, you know, let's rise above the scary bullying. I can't talk to her because she's going to react to me in a weird way and all that levels of stuff. Let's just totally. go to you know what, actually. Not everyone is out to freeze your bra and, you know, report you, down you the to the authorities. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and this is... um. Yeah, exactly. And this is why I love Instagram, actually, because I feel like there is more of that um, community and more of that connection that's been created and you can just send someone a DM or, like, reply to their stories or whatever. So I love hearing from people and their experiences and, you know, what they're up to. So definitely approachable. I think the more we can create community and create safety, um, the more we'll be able to heal and like this wounded sisterhood desperately is just weeping needs to at least have the beginnings. And the more we can do that and heal ourselves, then we can heal the collective and just so important. We've had so many birth workers on trial and splashed through the media and vilified. And when you've sat in the courtrooms and, and watched birth on trial and midwives on trial, it, it feels very hopeless and it feels Mm. hard to come back from that. Um, It really does. I felt completely like there was no hope, which is very unusual for me. And Jane at the retreat I was at, which came right after the trial had ended um, here for a midwife that was on trial and she said a quote from Florence Welch from Florence in the Machine. She said, um, hope is a doing word. And I was like, mm. yes, I feel like I need to get it tattooed on my body. I tell you, <laughs> I feel like everything I do is the embodiment of hope that I have that we can um, heal and that we can make change. So that's, that's sort of my biggest message. <laughs> Well, there's the podcast title right there. Thank you, Florence. Yes. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> and thank you, Catherine. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Can I, should Pleasure. I just say something about um, – so Thrive for Doulas is, um, is a course that I've devised for doulas who want to – new doulas in their first 12 months of business who want to thrive in life and business. Um, and that is – it is deep work, but also business. And I also have the, um, the birth worker circle exclusive membership for birth workers who want to connect. This is my hope, you know, as a doing word, these are my things yeah. that I've come up with, um, where birth workers can join and we foster really intimate, beautiful connections, community debriefing support, and also professional development, professional standards. So, um, it's, at this minute, as we're recording, is about to launch very soon. So Woo-hoo! it may be launched when you go live or it will be in the process. But um, that's for any birth workers. Um, yeah, this is sort of my thing. So if you are interested, I would really love to hear from you and have you and keep doing doing the things to be the hope because we need you. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Hope is a doing word. My hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers like you will stay in birth. But we need to do something. 
To stay in the helping and healing professions, you need to level up your self-care and your support. You owe it to yourself and to the people that you serve to make sure that your cup is running over and you are thriving. If you want to find out more about Catherine, go to Catherine with a K, Eden.com. You will want to get your hands on her birth worker business blueprint book. There's a lot of bees, Catherine. <laughs> it's really good though. It's a birth professional's roadmap to thriving in life and business. I've downloaded it and I was genuinely blown away with what Catherine gives away for free. Seriously, she's such a treasure and it makes my heart happy that she's doing the work that she's doing. If you're identifying with the wounded healer, you're getting burnt out, loving your work, but are sitting here thinking, I don't know if I can go on like this. Please let me help you. I've got some openings in my coaching calendar and I would love to support you. Or if you want to sign up for updates on my birth trauma training course that is coming out soon, maybe in the spring, you can also do that. So reach out to me at drerin.com.au or at drerinbaum on Instagram. Thank you for making the time for yourself, particularly if you're feeling uncomfortable. That's how you grow, that's how you learn, and I thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work.